Welcome, beautiful people, to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news in the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. On today's show, we're going to talk about Kojima. We're going to talk about an Embracer Group studio getting shut down. And, of course, we have to end it with PlayStation VR number two. But first, a few updates uh, from Call for Call of Duty and Xbox from last week. According to Activision, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2's release broke franchise records, topping $800 million in sales in its first three days. And just like clockwork, since, uh, you know, I don't know. Activision Blizzard loves doing this. There was a journalist, I think it was Imran who, who Imran Khan who brought it up. That is probably Bobby Kotick because for some reason Bobby Kotick loves comparing Call of Duty's numbers to Hollywood for kind of whatever reason. Um, they also claim that the launch was the highest-grossing entertainment opening of the year, topping the combined worldwide box office openings of Top Gun: Maverick and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of madness and i just think it's weird that Activision blizzard keeps making this comparison like yes we no one understand that the video game industry as a whole is bigger than hollywood and uh, obviously call of duty is successful uh in its own right it's probably i mean pick whatever huge film franchise you can think of uh i don't know in terms of numbers i'm not sure what it is probably either Star Wars or, or, or Marvel or something Marvel. Uh, you know, Call of Duty is the video game version of that. But comparing it, even if you're saying like, hey, you know, in his first three days, it, you know, surpassed both of these blockbuster films, even if you put both of them together. Well, theaters have limited seats, right? <laughs> and on top of that, each ticket uh, probably doesn't exceed more than $25, $30 probably would be the most expensive ticket uh, nationwide, which prop with, with probably the, the average United States ticket price, I would have to guess is probably maybe around $15. Maybe if I have to guess off the top of my head, it's not really a fair comparison to make. And I, I and I, I feel like it's not as big of a, of a brag as Bobby Kotick thinks it is. Activision also claims that the game also set new franchise records for the number of unique players and hours played during its first three days for a premium Call of Duty game. So really no surprise. I mean, uh, I've been saying this throughout uh, the year on Camp Koji, especially because we've talked so much about Xbox buying Activision Blizzard and owning Call of Duty, that this would be a blockbuster year for Call of Duty for multiple reasons, right? Uh, number one, this holiday season is, you know, it's not like it's packed to the gills with these huge games. That's numero uno. Uh, number two is it's Modern Warfare, right? It's the biggest brand for Call of Duty. Like Call of Duty is is huge, but Modern Warfare is big compared to uh, the other Call of Duty monikers. Uh, and then third was was Vanguard, uh, which was just really bad <laughs> sales wise. Critical uh, reception was really bad. So it, it, there was no doubt that this was going to be huge. And, you know, we haven't even or I guess we kind of did. We sort of just entered the holiday season. So I'm, I'm sure the sales are going to continue to explode for this game. According to a tweet from Sony, 
Modern Warfare 2 enjoyed the biggest PlayStation Store launch ever for a Call of Duty game, including pre-orders and day one sales. Now, the consensus online is that Sony decided to specifically tweet this milestone as sort of a cheeky way to show the CMA how important the franchise is to their ecosystem and how much their fans desire it. You know, play it's it's rare that PlayStation even toots their own horn when uh, there's a huge launch. It's not that I'm not going to say it's like, you know, snowball's chance that they'll do something like that, but it is kind of rare. So for them to specifically highlight Modern Warfare 2, you know, people are kind of connecting to the dots and uh, it's just another part of PlayStation's campaign to uh, specifically to the UK and, and, and the CMA to say, look, you see, like our fans really want this. They need this. Um, and then, you know, just a reminder that, you know, just as short as two weeks ago, Phil Spencer, once again, this probably has to be like the fifth or sixth time, uh, said in an interview that Xbox intends on keeping Call of Duty on PlayStation. And I think what he said last, I, I believe it was last week, or was at least within the last two weeks, was probably the strongest indication of Call of Duty staying on PlayStation that they've ever said. He's, uh, I don't have the exact quote. Uh, written in front of me but I believe it was something along the lines of as long as there's a PlayStation Call of Duty will be on it and um, that's probably the the strongest language that Phil Spencer has used for Call of Duty remaining on on PlayStation before they've said you know hey it's our intention to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation they talked about how uh, important PlayStation is to Call of Duty. They've spoken about contract extensions, uh, but this is kind of the strongest verbal confirmation that we've gotten from Phil Spencer that Xbox has this intention to, as he once again said, to treat this very similar to what they did with Minecraft, meaning that, hey, the more consoles this game is on, the more money that uh, we can make off of it. You know, especially when we think about this current climate we're in when it comes to multiplayer gaming, where, you know, companies are no longer interested in selling you a game once. It's, you know, they want to sell you a game and then try to convince you to spend money throughout your lifetime playing it. And if that's your thought process for a multiplayer game, then you're going to want that game to be accessible to as many people as you possibly can. So I think that's really what Phil Spencer means. Um, And then another thing about Activision last week via blog post, the Game Workers Alliance said Activision is still denying unionized staff the raise given to all other QA testers earlier in the year. And is even requiring the union pay out of pocket for workers to be able to bargain during the day. They also briefly spoke about a bargaining session. They said, you know, it was kind of a standstill. There was really no progress made. This is a a tried and true tactic from companies. I think Starbucks workers are going through the same thing right now where they vote to form a union, but then the actual bargaining process is drawn out for as long as the company is able to draw it out legally. And 
legally they can they can drag it out for years and years, unfortunately. And it seems like that's what Activision is doing. They're not negotiating in good faith. It'll be interesting to see what happens when Microsoft takes over, especially since Phil Spencer has said in the past publicly that he would support and recognize um, Blizzard, any Blizzard unions that are created. So it'll be interesting to see what happens after that. Uh, because, you know, talk is cheap. Like you, you can say a lot of things. For a company, it sounds like really good, squeaky clean PR, but, you know, we'll see what actually happens when those unions are right in front of you. Hopefully, you know, they stick to their word. And just a reminder, the raise that these QA testers are requesting. So what happened early in the year is the testers, I think it was at Raven. Uh, I hope I'm not getting these different studios mixed up, but I, I believe it was Raven. And I think it was only a dozen or so testers that decided to walk off the job. They decided to create their own union. And at that point, Activision made this decision to convert all testers to permanent positions and then give them a, a raise, a new sort of floor for their wages. And they announced at that time, because this particular group of people was trying to unionize, that they couldn't match that wage or because they were striking. I don't remember exactly the reasoning why. So now the Game Workers Alliance representing these dozen or so testers is not coming back to the table and saying, well, they should they deserve the raise that you gave to the other testers. Now, just a reminder, Call of Duty Modern Warfare just broke a franchise record, topped $800 million in sales. The wage that this unit is fighting for is $20 an hour. That's it, two zero per hour. And it never ceases to amaze me the extent of the greed that we see out of corporations, especially here in America, day in and day out. When uh, you would swear watching a company fight so hard that these employees are asking for like $50 an hour or something extremely egregious, you know, hey, we want four months paid vacation or something like that. Um, you know, they're, they're really not asking for much. $20 an hour is at this point in this country, uh, not even a livable wage at this point because of the price of everything going up. So to fight to fight employees, remember, it's only a dozen or so. I don't, I don't think the number of these QA testers exceeds 15, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So for them just to ask, for $20 an hour. And that's probably an increase of at the most, probably $5 per person from what their current wage is. I can't imagine their wage being less than $15 an hour at this moment. Man, it, it's, it's, that's just sad. The, the amount of greed is, is crazy. Uh, also, another update from last week's story about Xbox. Phil Spencer publicly acknowledged that it's been too long since Xbox's last big first party game. Tell me something I don't know, Phil. So next year's confirmed games so far are Starfield, Redfall, and Forza Motorsport 8. 
out of all of the other projects announced by Xbox in terms of their teams working on stuff, Hellblade 2 is probably the likeliest to release in the second half of 2023. Um, But there's really been no other confirmations outside of that. Uh, I would be very surprised to see Forza next, excuse me, not Forza, uh, Fable. I'll be surprised to see Fable next year. I will be surprised. I don't think Perfect Dark we're going to see next year. Avowed is another game that I don't think we'll see released next year. For whatever reason, uh, Microsoft Studios have an issue that is very hard to ignore when it comes to their development time and their process. And we got a little bit of a sneak peek, uh, basically seeing behind the curtain when some Perfect Dark, former Perfect Dark employees from the initiative came forward. And I think one of them had mentioned that they were surprised how lenient Xbox was in terms of not being very strict with deadlines. And I think, you know, you have to find the sweet spot. You don't want to be too strict with your deadlines where you're overworking your employees, but then you also don't want to be so soft. You know, you can't exist on either side of the line uh, because then you won't chip a game. Or, you know, we all saw what happened with Halo Infinite. That team had, I thought, uh, was a pretty good development cycle in terms of the number of years that they were given to complete that game and the game still shipped un- incomplete like we can we can definitely look back at halo infinite right now and say well this game still isn't finished because they haven't shipped everything that they promised to ship with that game uh you know hellblade 2 is probably the likeliest because the last time we saw it we did see gameplay But even that game, it it seems like it's going through some developmental issues. And, um, you know, once again, showcasing this distinct difference between PlayStation and Xbox. Obviously, we love to compare these two companies a lot because they're very similar uh, in their kind of AAA games and very similar in their strategies compared to Nintendo Switch. You know, when it comes to PlayStation, excuse me, I don't think that I've ever, I can't remember the last time that PlayStation announced a game, even from the the onset of showing it, going through previews, uh, that I've ever felt worried about a PlayStation game. I can't say that I feel the same about Xbox. And I could probably say the same thing about Nintendo. You know, even when you have a... uh, uh, a media rollout like God of War Ragnarok, which was very different, I think, from the way other marketing plans work for other games, where it really felt, and it still sort of feels even now, you know, we're just a few days away from God of War Ragnarok releasing, where PlayStation didn't really give us really much information. (laughs) You know, we really didn't see gameplay for the first time until just a few short months ago and they've been opening up a little bit more within the last three weeks kind of talking about different settings different enemies you know it's not really normal usually marketing plans have sort of this six seven month window and even with that any other company that does that where they're not really talking about the game they're not showing a lot of footage it's sort of a red flag that goes off in your head where you're like well it, it kind of feels like they're hiding something um 
But with PlayStation, you you know, because of their track record, you never once feel that way. And I think that's what Xbox right now is struggling with. Our next story deals with Hideo Kojima, kind of a two, I think it was two main stories from Kojima last week that I wanted to address. So number one is that video footage leaked of what looks to be Kojima's next game, Overdose. Uh, Overdose's existence, for those that don't remember, was first revealed June of this year. We spoke about it on the podcast. That was when journalist Tom Henderson tweeted that someone sent him footage showing actress Margaret Qualley or Qualley. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce it. She was also in Death Stranding. She played the character of Mama. And they sent her, they sent him a video footage of her once again playing a character in a video game. She was in a blue dress walking through a dark corridor with just a flashlight. And he did not release the actual footage. But Kojima Productions pretty much confirmed that it was real when they asked him to take down his story. That pretty much confirms the game's existence. And then he, as a journalist, knowing that he has every right to, basically then tweeted like, hey, Kojima told me to take this down, which he has every right to do. And that basically confirmed to us in the public that Overdose is a very real game. Um, So I wanted to break down this footage. Uh, For some reason, as of yesterday, the footage was still up on YouTube, which I was very surprised by. And the the footage is, is kind of a bit blurry because it was a phone recording of a video playing on a laptop. And everyone is kind of laughing. Uh, This is probably one of the funniest leaks that has happened because the person holding the phone recording the laptop, you can see the reflection. It's just some dude. uh, It sort of looks like he's laying down on a bed and he has no shirt on for whatever reason. (laughs) It's uh, just kind of funny, especially at the end. It sort of goes to black. You can clearly see this shirtless guy just holding up his phone. I I definitely think it's one of the funniest leaks we've seen in a while. And it was probably around two minutes. And the gameplay showed Margaret's character walking through a hallway using a flashlight, very much like Tom Henderson explained a few months ago. Now, what was interesting is that in the bottom left corner of the video was a woman that looks like she was the one that was playing the game. So my guess is that the video that we saw was supposed to be something that was shared internally. And I'm guessing it was from a, what do you call those? Oh, a focus group. It was probably, they were having people, uh, different people try the game out and then they had a camera on them to see their reactions. Uh, especially since this is a horror game, maybe they're trying to see, uh, you know, what certain portions of the game that they were playing that elicited the most reaction in order to use that feedback for the for developing the rest of the game. And then at the top left of the screen, it says camera player one, which I, I think was an interesting piece of information. Now, a few things. Number one is that it's pretty clear that this is a mobile game. Uh, because the woman that was playing it was clearly using a cell phone. And while Margaret 
characters walking through this hallway, you kind of see these red um, circles every time the woman interacted with the screen. So when she tapped on the screen, it showed like this red circle. It's a little bit tough to see exactly what the gameplay is supposed to be. It sort of looked like her tapping on the screen was to warn Margaret about danger or to check a particular corner. So there was a moment where it seemed like she was frantically trying to warn her about someone chasing her or going after her or something like that. Um, so I'm thinking that this probably could be a, an asymmetrical cooperative title where someone is controlling Margaret and then any number of people can sort of watch the gameplay in real time on their cell phone. And I'm guessing that those people have access to information that the player does not. So maybe they have a special screen where they can see things that the player that's controlling Margaret cannot. And by doing so, they can tap on the screen or do different things in order to warn that character about impending danger or, hey, check this. Uh, like I said, maybe their view is different from uh, the player character. So all of that makes me believe that this is the Xbox game that we've been um, hearing about for quite some time. And if it is, I think it's sort of sad <laughs> in a sense. And I'll, I'll kind of explain why. So... My theory has always been that Kojima had an idea. He realized that his idea required a cloud, a cloud platform. That was when he went to Google to try to get it on Stadia. And from what we know, Phil Spencer just canceled it. Now, according to, I think it was 9to5Google, they claimed that this was the sequel to Death Stranding. According to Kojima, he said that there was no validity to that. So my theory is that he went to Stadia, Stadia shut it down. He still had this idea. He really still wanted to execute it. Where else can he go? Right now, the options are very limited in terms of releasing something on a cloud platform and being able to release it at scale. Um, that will probably be Amazon with their Luna platform and or Xbox with their xCloud platform. So I think what happened was then he decided to take that game and take it over to Xbox. And this either means that uh, A, there is a down there, two versions of the game. Basically, there's one that you kind of a full-fledged title where you're controlling the main character that you download on your Xbox. Uh, maybe it's one, Series X, whatever. That's where you access and play it. Maybe you can also play it on PC. And then the cloud part of it is that people from around the world can join someone's game and sort of interact and help, help them or whatever that may be. And obviously this is just sort of a, a, a guess from me. Um, but the reason why I say it's, it, it's a little bit sad is that everything that I saw from that footage and sort of everything 
that we know in terms of the fact that Kojima is working on multiple projects, it makes me feel that this is a much smaller thing. Like, I'm not expecting this overdose game to be in the same breadth or length and depth as something like Death Stranding. Overdose, to me, really feels like a PT2 kind of thing, where I don't think it'll be like just a teaser, but I'm guessing it's something that's just going to be a few hours of gameplay. I'm not expecting this to be a full-fledged horror experience. Maybe it could be something that maybe is connected to the Death Stranding universe, maybe in some way, shape, or form, but there's a part of me that feels like that's kind of impossible at this point because I don't, I would have to safely assume that Sony has some say in terms of how that Death Stranding license is used unless he hammered something, uh, some sort of uh, exception in that contract. I can't imagine that he could just put anything related to Death Stranding on a competitor exclusively. I, I, I don't, I don't think that can happen. I think Death Stranding having a PC version is separate. That was probably put into the contract where obviously PlayStation was not ready and set to publish PC titles at the scale that something like 505 games can. And since Kojima was risking a lot of money with the release of Death Stranding, that was probably part of the contract that he could strike a deal with a PC publisher in order to get that game on PC in order to recoup more of the cost of whatever they had to pay to uh, to build that actual game. So my guess is that Overdose is the Xbox partnership. And once again, I'm, I'm sort of making an assumption that there is a full-fledged console experience here. Um, you know, who knows if this works cloud-based in terms of almost like a driven TV experience where it's scripted. You know, because there was something about that video when it came to Margaret Qualley's character and the way it was framed and the way she was moving, that it looked like a cutscene. To me, it didn't look like a player was controlling Margaret's character. It looked like we were just watching a cutscene. So there's even this little part of me that thinks that maybe this cloud experience is something that's exclusive to mobile. So you would stream stream it on xCloud, but it would almost be like you're watching a a TV show and the entire thing just plays out through cutscenes. We all know how much Kojima loves cutscenes. And maybe it's something where, you know, a thousand players could be joining the same exact session. And, you know, maybe it's kind of like vote based. So if there's like a two doors to go through and 700 people say go left, 300 people say go right, then. Margaret would go left and maybe it's like a collective experience where we're all trying to get her out of whatever situation she's in. She's being chased by someone. Part of me feels like that's what this is. And I think that if I am correct, then it's going to be very hard for them to announce this without it being in this overwhelming disappointment <laughs> um, because they made such a, a, a big deal. Uh, actually, you know, I don't want to say it's like a big deal, but I think in terms of where we are in video game marketing, Kojima showing up 
at, I forgot, what uh, was it E3? I can't really remember. And making this official announcement that he's working with Xbox. It sort of makes you feel that we're getting this full-fledged Kojima game. And like I said, if if what I am theorizing is true, I can't imagine it going over like people being super duper excited. Um, maybe if they can capture what 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 he if maybe if he can capture what he did with PT, I could see it. You know, pe- people be getting really excited by it. But obviously, we'll just have to wait and see. Now, sticking with Kojima on his Brain Structure podcast. Kojima finally addressed the rumors that he is secretly behind Abandon, the infamous PlayStation game that was announced last year. He said, quote, users just keep sending me pictures of this Hassan. They still send me collages and deep fake images like 20 a day. It's really quite a nuisance. Quote, when we did that Moby Dick thing, you, Jeff, were in on the whole thing. And that was pretty fun. But people should know that I wouldn't do the same thing twice. So, um, this podcast is done with him and Jeff Keighley. So he was talking to Jeff Keighley. I, I did not hear the original audio. I'm going off a transcription here. And what he's talking about the Moby Dick, Dick thing was when they announced um, Metal Gear Solid 5 Phantom Pain, where it was announced via a fake publisher, a fake trailer. It was very, very quickly. Um, very, very quickly, fans figured out that it was something Metal Gear Solid related. They kind of tried to keep it going, but, you know, the illusion was already broken sort of from the moment uh, because right at the end when they showed the logo for this whatever fake game, people were already skeptical because the person in the trailer, even though they tried to hide his face, very clearly looked like a form of snake, one of the snakes. And... People realize, and I think it was like in in the uh, the negative space that you can make out Metal Gear Solid. I think it was, or or something along those lines. He continued, "I have never spoken with Hassan. The game is yet to be released. I don't think there's much he can do or say at this point. But if he releases the game, people might understand. So maybe he should just hurry up and release it." Abandoned developers Blue Box Game Studios responded to this news via the Twitter, quote, we want to thank Kojima for addressing the conspiracies openly has been a burden and not cool for both fans and developers. We hope everyone can close this for good. Also, we ask fans to stop harassing Hideo Kojima regarding abandoned messages. This is not acceptable and is not entertaining. So first off, I'm not sure why Kojima waited this long uh, to do this. I, I feel like even at this point, this was unnecessary, right? Because it's become, it became very obvious. I think I would say probably like three weeks, four weeks after, uh, abandon was announced. It became painfully obvious that, uh, Kojima had nothing to do with this, but at the very, very beginning when Abandon was first announced and 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 teased, um, I think there was one hundred percent a reason to. Um, I wouldn't say one hundred percent believe that this was Kojima, but there was enough of a reason to go out of your way to say, "Wait a minute, could this be something that Kojima is working on?" Because of information that we've had in the past um, from Kojima, 
And if you're listening to Camp Koji, you're probably aware that I made a, a YouTube video. And I think the title of the YouTube video is Hideo Kojima's 100% Behind Abandoned. And I, you know, I stand by that video. I'm not going to, you know, I, I decided there was one point in time where I went, oh, wait, no, I don't think, I don't think Kojima's behind this. But, you know, I wasn't going to go out of, my, out of my way to delete that video. And the reason why is because in that moment, I still stand by that video. I still stand by all the research that I did. I think if you watch the video and all the information that I gave, I think that you will understand why myself and other people were very skeptical in believing uh, even after there was some journalists that say, hey, I talked to Hassan or uh, I have proof that I can't share with you guys that uh, this has nothing to do with Kojima. I think that I make in a, a, a good enough argument as to why there was a reason to be skeptical at that moment. Now, I think that if you still believe that Kojima's behind Abandon, I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't think there's any uh, other way to convince you. I think, you know, anyone can put their tinfoil hat on right now at this moment and say to themselves, well, wh you know, why is he bringing this up, you know, 10 months later out of the blue? You know, oh, maybe maybe this is the next step of the abandoned. Pro like, yeah, I think you can put your tinfoil hat on right now. I'm, I'm personally not going to join you uh, in that, to be honest with you. But I think that, you know, at that moment, Kojima should have immediately stepped forward and said, you know, I have nothing to do with this. And yeah, there's, you still would have had people that would have said, oh, you know, that's exactly what someone who has something to hide would say, <laughs> you know. Um, honestly, I would have never made the video. Uh, if, if Kojima would have stepped forward and he would have even said the same thing or, or very similar to what he said at this point, then I, I probably that video probably wouldn't uh, even exist. You know, to tell you the truth, the the thing that really drove me to dig deep and you know believe that this could be some sort of bait and switch was honestly it was Jeff Keeley himself. You know, um, the way that he sort of played into it made me feel like okay, this guy knows something. He you know he knows more than he's trying to say. But unfortunately, it was just Jeff Keighley um, playing to the crowd. I think that's really uh, sort of what it was. It was, you know, him sort of also trying to milk the cow, sort of get a hand in there, <laughs> you know, in terms of all the attention that uh, that Abandoned was getting. And I, I still stand by the biggest... Uh, evidence that I felt was PlayStation giving them that spotlight, PlayStation giving that team the, you know, whatever that real time thing. I think they only released one video for it or something like that. Um, you know, the, it, it, Abandoned will go down as one of the weirdest, I think, moments in, 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 in gaming. I think we're going to remember this for a very long time. Um, as I said, I still think that I excuse me, I still stand by that moment in time where 
I felt like I made a compelling argument for why Kojima was behind this. And I think the other reason why I stayed behind it is because we need to realize that it's very normal for, especially when we're not talking about life and death situations here, it's very normal for us to be able to look back at something and say, well, you know, I was wrong. You know, that's okay. That that should be a very normal, for some reason, it's just not normal. Like no one ever wants to admit like, damn, you know what? I was wrong. Or, you know, man, I, I, I was, I could have been wrong. Or, you know, in this point, I do believe, yeah, I, I was wrong. You know, I really did think that this was something that um, Kojima could have potentially been behind. But like I said, at, at some point, I don't remember exactly what it was, but there was one point where I went, okay, wait a minute. Like this is, you know, it, it really could have just been Hassan and, and Blue Box you know, playing not even 5D, playing 6D chess uh, for for this marketing campaign. And hey, man, it, it, it worked. It absolutely worked because we were all um, talking about it. And then finally, Kojima also addressed buyout rumors. Quote, we are indies. We have no affiliations whatsoever. and We are not backed by anyone. And every day I am approached by offers all over the world to buy our studio. Some of those offers are ridiculously high prices, but it's not that I want the money. I want to make what I want to make. That's why I created this studio. Just, just gorgeous, just beautiful. In this moment in time where we continue to hear about companies ready and willing to uh, sort of sell everything that they've built so quickly for money and just looking for exit strategies. Um, and I think this is one of the reasons why a lot of Kojima fans such as myself really love Kojima. It's he is in an, an amazing position that not many people in this world are able to be put into or put themselves into, which is 100% creative freedom. That's not normal. Like it's really abnormal to have that. You know, even some of the biggest directors in the world, uh, there are only a select few that are able to have this 100% creative freedom from writing to casting to uh, shooting to directing to final cut, you know, the editing, release, marketing. Like it, it's rare that you have your hands in, in all of those jars. And Kojima has been able to achieve that. And amidst all these talks of consolidation, it's just very refreshing to hear from an, from, from a creator that says, no, I'm not, I'm not selling because I want to be able to create my own stuff. And I understand that if I sell, I either have to get rid of all of it. And, you know, you have to remember what happened with him at Konami. You know, he created Metal Gear and, and that franchise is unfortunately no longer available to him. And I'm sure he doesn't want that to happen ever again. A next story, sort of a short one before we move on to PSVR 2 and end it. Uh, it deals with Onoma. According to Jason Schreier from Bloomberg, Onoma studio staff were informed the studio was shutting down. Onoma was a rebrand from Square Enix Montreal. They actually rebranded just a month ago. For those that don't know, they're responsible for mostly mobile games, Lara Croft Go, Hitman Go. The closure will affect about 200 employees. Some of the employees were offered roles at its sister company, Idols Montreal. Bloomberg also reported that Idols Montreal is working on a new Deus Ex game that is very, very early in development. They're co-developing, they're also co-developing a play, 
excuse me, they're co-developing Playground Games' new Fable game. Play, Playground Games is the team behind Forza, Forza Horizon. And as they were finishing up that game, they also started work on the next Fable, which Xbox released a teaser trailer. What was that, like two years ago or something like that? Um, so a few things to take away from this. Number one, this is kind of, I mean, it's always sad when you hear about a studio closing because it's near impossible that every single one of those employees now has just a new position. Uh, a lot of them will probably just let go. You never want to hear about that. It's never good news. Um, but on top of that, this is a very talented team. I've brought this up on the podcast before. Those mobile games were amazing. And I just find it very interesting that Embracer Group, with this move, it's almost like them showing their hands where they're like, we're putting all the eggs in the PC console basket. I'm very surprised by that, that, that it's showing sort of like not too much confidence in the mobile space um, because I don't know why as a, 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 as a company, as a publisher at this very moment, you wouldn't want a talented team to adapt these new franchises that you just brought in um, into something mobile. Um, whether it be, you know, right now we're hearing about how everyone's talking about Marvel Snap, which I will admit is a really fun game. Uh, you know, they took over Avengers. Uh, they now own the team that was behind the Amazing Guardians of the Galaxy. So there is sort of a little bit of a bridge to Marvel there. Wouldn't you want Square Enix Montreal to work with Marvel? Marvel, Marvel seeing the success of Snap and tell them, hey, let's work on something mobile together. Um, and that's not even counting all these other uh, franchises that you have under your belt, uh, not even counting Square Enix Idol's old stuff like Tomb Raider or whatever. Um, you know, Just Cause. Uh, you know, what else is out there that they have? Saints Row. Well, maybe that's not a, a good idea. Uh, Darksiders, I don't know. Like, there's a lot that you can do with your, your those IPO mobiles. So it's very surprising to see them go, nah, we're not really interested. Um, in terms of the new Deus Ex game, we heard this rumor before from Jeff Grubb. There were talks about it being what Cyberpunk couldn't be. I kind of brought this up before on the podcast. I don't like these sort of types of leaks because it it gives those Deus Ex fans a lot of hope and it might be false hope because we don't know if this game will ever actually be made. It could just be canceled in the process. So I, I don't like when these leaks happen, like unless it's coming straight from Embracer Group. Um, very, very early in development basically means like they've just been talking about it, talking about potential directions, maybe some concept images, some concept art has been drawn up, but I sort of feel like probably not even that has been happening. They've, they, there's probably just been conversations about a structure. Like what would you imagine another Deus Ex game? Would it be open world? Would it be third person? Would it be first person? What would it feel like? It's almost like mood boards. It's probably just a mood board at this point with like pictures of cyberpunk and, you know, I don't know, Halo Infinite Guns or something like that. I don't know. That's probably the stage that it's at. Uh, now, one of the biggest things is this co-development with uh, Playground Games. This makes this the second Xbox games where they've sought 
a secondary studio to help them develop it. First one was the initiative's Perfect Dark, and now we have uh, this fable. Now, this is sort of normal. Uh, you know, when Sony Santa Monica is listed as the main developer of God of War Ragnarok, it doesn't mean that that was the only studio that worked on it. You know, you can probably have maybe like an average of 20 studios that have touched God of War Ragnarok. And it could be little things here and there. It could just be outsourcing concepts or outsourcing concept art, uh, outsourcing particular animations or something like that. Like there are a lot of these studios that just exist to be pure support, to help games reach their finish line. This is normal in our industry. It's sort of like, you know, uh, Kendrick's, you know, next album or his latest album. You know, it's not like Kendrick Lamar, even though his name is in the front, doesn't mean he was the only person that was responsible for this uh, project, right? There's still uh, mixers and, and producers and, you know, so many writers that help along the way. I guess you could say the same thing about video games. But the reason why I feel like it's a little, I, I take it as a little bit of a concern is that it doesn't seem like these are being brought in as support studios. It seems like they're being brought in as really core parts of the development. And that's something that we know as a fact for Perfect Dark. It has been confirmed that it's a pretty healthy chunk of that Crystal Dynamics team that's helping that Perfect Dark team. And we don't know how big of a team is, is helping with this Playground Games. But when Jason Schreier says that they're co-developing, that to me doesn't sound like just a support studio. That to me feels like Xbox had, has identified a core issue in their development cycle where either A, they believe that getting extra help can help them get these games out faster, or B, that their developers are really struggling and they need the outside help. To me, the reason why it's a little bit concerning is because we, we're, we're seeing Xbox spend so much money on these studios. And to realize that for whatever reason, they're unable to just uh, work on a game kind of on their own without bringing a, a, a big chunk of development from another studio, I'll be honest, it's a little bit concerning. But flip side, two sides of the coin, it could also be a positive it shows that xbox is committed to getting these games completed uh, ahead of whatever schedule they had set so i'm gonna choose to look at it on the bright side at this moment so as a fan of the fable franchise hopefully this means that we're getting a better game and now for us to end it, where our final story deals with PSVR 2. So last week, PlayStation officially announced the date and price of their upcoming PSVR 2 headset. February 22nd for $549.99. Pre-orders begin November 15th. What you get? For $550, you get a PSVR 2 headset, PSVR 2 controllers, and stereo headphones. They also announced a Horizon Call of the Mountain bundle, which will also be available for $599.99. Uh, you can't say 
that I didn't warn you, right? Um, shout out to the Koji gang for listening to this podcast because I said that this is definitely what's going to happen. Uh, they're just... There was no way that this game, this this system was going to go below 550. I believe I guessed $600, but I didn't go back to that episode to confirm it. I know for a fact that I said that this headset would have a floor of $500. I didn't think it would be any cheaper than 500. I remember talking on the podcast in the previous episode how I I was baffled by journalists and people out there throwing out $400. I don't understand how you could see the the feature list of this headset, the feature list of those controllers, and think to yourself, yeah, this will be $400. Like, you're crazy. And that's before they raised the price of the PlayStation. That was probably even before we really started to, it started to really sink in um, how many issues these companies are having with manufacturing in terms of uh, obtaining the right parts and obviously the cost of everything, delivery, parts, all of that going up, right? Now we're hearing issues in China going through renewed COVID lockdowns. I'm sure that that might add some stress to um, getting these items built. Apple already announced that they're going to have issues with iPhone 14. I'm, I, I think it's for this holiday season. Um, so we can expect those same types of, of things to affect video game companies. Um, it seemed like a lot of people were surprised by this, or I wouldn't be, yeah, I would say partially surprised. And then there were other people that were just like, hell no, there's no way I'm buying this. Um, and the let, let's start with a few things, Okay. Number one, do I think $549.99 is too much? No. I think that the reason why I'm going to say no is because you have to understand the amount of technology that's under, um, that's built into that headset. I think $550 for what you are getting in terms of a VR headset is a really, really good price. The problem, though, is that we can't just look at this as $550. If you were to buy a digital PlayStation 5, which is $400, after taxes, you're looking at already close to $1,000. And then if you have a disc PS5, then you're looking at over $1,000. That is your minimum price to play virtual reality. This has been a core issue for VR in terms of gaming VR for as far back as we can remember. Even when we think about PlayStation VR, the first one that, that dropped for PS4. And I don't think it's fair to make that comparison. Some people are comparing it to PS4 that I think that PSVR headset dropped at $400. But you really can't make the comparison because with that, you just got a headset. You still had to buy move controllers. You still had to have the PlayStation camera. So I don't think it's a fair comparison. Actually, I think if you compare it, the PlayStation VR 2 comes out as the better deal because you get these controllers and the controllers are, are, are pretty advanced, right? They have the haptic feedback. There's haptic feedback in the headset. There is, I think, uh, some sort of touch sensor on the controllers themselves. 
And then if we think about the headset, OLED screen, mounted cameras, yes, it does have a cable. I know for a lot of people that's sort of a deal breaker. I get that. I understand that 100%. Um, this, okay, let, let, me, let me go back to what I said about PSVR 2 at the beginning of this year. I said that this will be, number one, this will be PlayStation's biggest challenge this generation. And I think number two, I said that I believe that this is going to be their biggest failure. And I want to revisit why I said that. The reason why I said this was going to be their biggest challenge is because time, resources, and money within any company is finite. You only have a limited number of it, especially when it comes to time and when it comes to money, when it comes to budgeting. The issue with PlayStation right now is that when they dropped PSVR, they were at the top. They were at the tippity top, right? When it came to this sort of singular, I don't want to say singular, but almost singular stream of the way that we access games, PlayStation was at the top of their game. Ever since PlayStation 4, Xbox sort of changed the parameters of what it means to be at the forefront or what it means to have a big slice of this pie, the, the, the gaming pie, right? When we think about remaining competitive in, 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 in gaming in 2022, we have to consider mobile, right? You, you can't omit mobile gaming anymore. You have to be competitive in that arena. The other arena they have to be competitive with is PC. You have to remain competitive in that arena. Then we talk about services and subscriptions. You have to be competitive in that arena. Where else do you have to be competitive nowadays? You also have to remain competitive in the cloud gaming arena. You also have to remain competitive in first-party title arena. You have to be competitive in multiplayer, free-to-play, uh, games as a service. You also have to remain competitive in single-player. You Right now, these companies, I don't know if the, the right term I'm looking for is stretched so thin, but they're, you know, their resources are like 360, right? There's so many slices to this pie where at one point it was just, here's a box and I'm going to sell you games for that box. Then at some point, companies realize, well, I, I need partners. I need to find other companies to help me put software on this box that I'm building. And that was sort of where the game was. And that's where it remained for quite some time, even if you sprinkled in multiplayer gaming in there. Right now, PlayStation has found themselves at this moment where they have to defend themselves from Xbox on multiple fronts, right? It's like it's like fighting a war. You know, this this just not there's not there's not one uh, a, a single border of entrance that you're defending. There are multiple. And when you do that, you're basically it's almost like having an army. You're thinning your army. You're choosing well, I need to fortify this one. If I lose this battle, it's okay. But I need to make sure I fortify this particular part of, uh, of this space. And the issue is that now 
PlayStation is adding another slice to that pie that they have to compete in, and that is VR. And the issue with this is you're not, it's almost like you're not fighting for a slice of the pie. Right now, you're still building the pie. <laughs> and really, the only other person that's uh, taking this task on is Facebook and Meta. And as we've seen this year, they've been doing absolutely nothing but hemorrhaging money in order to get Meta to work and, and Meta Quest to work. They even had to raise the price of their headset $100. Um, that shows you how difficult it has been for Meta to get VR to work. Even though they are making a lot of great strides in terms of what they've done with VR, you also have to remember what Meta has access to. That MetaQuest headset is wireless. It is a very well-built piece of hardware, but it also attaches to an electronic that um, almost every single human being on the planet has in their pocket, which is a cell phone. That's not what PlayStation has, right? Not every single person has a PlayStation 5 because a PlayStation 5 is really only good for one thing, right? When you buy a PlayStation 5, uh, it's really just to play PlayStation 5 games as opposed to something like a PC, for example, right? That's where uh, people are at this moment in time. That's where they will continue to be for the foreseeable future, especially when we talk about times of economic hardship. No one wants just a microwave anymore, right? You want an air fryer that microwaves and broils and uh, and, and, and bakes and dehydrates and, you know, does all these bells and whistles, right? Uh, that's why Meta has been doing so well because everyone has a cell phone. PlayStation's uphill battle now is that, you know, they're selling a premium piece of hardware $500 for a PlayStation 5 during a time of economic hardship. And now they're telling people buy this VR headset. So now they're trying to enter people into a market that once again, that pie still doesn't exist. Like VR, um, the VR audience is, is nowhere near close to the amount of gamers. It's really a drop in the bucket, which is why I said that I believe that this is a fight that PlayStation should not be fighting. It doesn't really make any sense for them to do this. It's exactly why Xbox never went into VR because I think Xbox understands that if for whatever reason they wanted to get into VR, I think Xbox would just go the partnership or licensing route and they will work with Meta. They will work with, uh, you know, formerly known as Facebook and allow their headsets to work on, on Xbox or allow VR games to be distributed on Xbox Cloud and you can play it using a MetaQuest headset or something like that. It's just kind of the smarter path to take. But for whatever reason, PlayStation is taking the really difficult path. Um, and I think I'll explain at the end of this why I think um, PlayStation decided that this was a fight worth fighting or why they decided that this was a good idea for them. 
So let's go back to the pricing. That Horizon called the Mountain Bundle for $600. Now, I think when PlayStation normally drops these bundles that come with a game that's included by a, a downloadable voucher, they usually drop $10 off. So my guess is that means that Horizon Call of the Mountain is going to retail for $59.99. I think that shows you that this is not like a AAA Half-Life Alex type of experience. I don't think that's what you should go into this expecting it to be. I think if it was, PlayStation would have charged $70 for it. They also announced a controller charging station that will release for $50 uh, if you want to spend more money. Um, Um... Let's see. Um, PlayStation also announced 11 new games for PSVR 2 last week. Unfortunately, the bad news is that out of these 11 games, nine are available on other (laughs) VR platforms. Even if it was newly announced last week, it's not going to be just available on PSVR 2. That's a problem. That's That's a big, big, big problem. Because once again, your main competitor is MetaQuest. And the thing about MetaQuest is it's not a gaming headset. It, it really isn't a gaming headset. And that's actually their advantage. It's the one thing that I said that PlayStation needs to do to grow PSVR 2 is that when you sell a product, once again, you can't, in the year 2022, you can't just sell just a microwave. It has to do way more than that. So when I'm selling you a PSVR 2 headset, you're basically telling someone, hey, Give me six hundred over six hundred dollars because you have to buy games, right? To play the one or two games that you're interested in, it, it's just not enough. Like PlayStation needed to build an interesting VR experience. They needed to build PlayStation Home VR, right? They needed to get fitness games in there. Maybe it's Power Rapper, the rapper fitness or something like that, using their own IP. They need they need to give people, even, you know, with a cord, fitness might not be the best thing. Um, they need to give people more reasons to own this VR headset. The first two um, are announced for PSVR 2, but there's no indication that they're exclusive. The Dark Picture Switchback and then Crossfire Sierra Squad. Uh, which is, surprise, surprise, a shooter. The Dark Picture Switchback just looks hella disappointing for my eyes. It looks like an amusement park ride. Everything is on rails. You know, PlayStation committed the mistake that I said earlier this year they must avoid. If your big thing is, hey, I'm selling you premium gaming VR, because these are premium prices, right? When you're trying to sell me a premium headset, my expectation is I'm going to get a premium experience, meaning that it's not just going to be the laziest, lowest hanging fruit, a shooter, right? Where it's like floating hands or arms or something like that or whatever it may be, or it's not something that's on rails. I think that a lot of PlayStation fans are looking at what Valve did with Half-Life Alex v uh, Half-Life Alex and they're basically saying okay this is what I want but on PlayStation 5 I want to be able to play Uncharted Last of Us uh, maybe bring back Killzone bring back Resistance um and but I want 
a full-fledged story. I want a first-person shooter type of experience, 20 hours or what have you, but I want to be inside that my the protagonist's head. That that's what I want out of this deal. If PlayStation is not delivering that, then there's no reason for anyone to want to buy this headset. As we know, software sells hardware, which is why I talk about that this is going to be incredibly difficult for PlayStation because they're trying to build on PC. They're trying to build on mobile, right? They're trying to build software that sells the PlayStation 5 hardware. Um, you know, they're, they're fighting all of these battles. Where's the money and the time and the resources left over to build on VR? Now, I'm not going to go through the entire list of the games that they announced. You can go online and see that. But pretty much everything else has either existed on MetaQuest already. You know, for example, there's this game called Pistol Whip that has been out on MetaQuest since 2019. Uh, either that or it's also releasing on PSVR 1, uh, which is unfortunate because there's a game like, for example, Hello Neighbor Search and Rescue. Maybe you buy it right now on PSVR. Uh, you know, it's not backwards compatible. Hopefully more companies will maybe at least let you, you know, put in a disc and let you download the PSVR 2 version for free. Hopefully that that becomes a thing. I'm not 100% sure if that's what they're doing. Now, the launch lineup was not revealed, but PlayStation claimed that they expect more than 20 titles to be there when this system or this uh, VR headset launches once again February 22nd. Um, so far, the early feedback to this announcement was very, very bad. My guess is that PlayStation... I mean, they had to know that this was going to happen when they announced a price point of $550. I think that's why they decided not to do any sort of state of play or anything like that. Uh, for this, I think that it didn't matter. First of all, I don't think they had really much to show. Uh, but I think that 500 ending that um, state of play with like, hey, it's going to be $550. That would have just basically omitted anything else that you talked about during that uh, that moment. But I think that in terms of the executives and the team at PlayStation sitting down and saying, let's do a PSVR 2. As of right now, after that decision that they made to actually manufacture this, I think every decision that they've made has been the absolute wrong one in terms of how can we make this successful? Um, when you're asking someone to buy a piece of hardware that is going to cost, let's be honest, let's, let's talk about its true price here, it's going to cost a minimum of $950 through $1,100 or something like that to get started uh, with no game, <coughs> or maybe at the very least one game. That's the investment that you're asking people to give you. And when you're a company and you and you're selling a product, especially when you're when you're selling the thing that something else plugs into, right? You're just selling the base at that moment. It's important to let that end user 
excuse me, it's important to give that end user confidence in the purchase that they're about to make. I brought this up before when it comes to the Xbox versus the PlayStation. I think that still at this very moment, even with all the purchases that Xbox has made, um, I would probably even argue with, you know, even with the prospect of Game Pass, especially because so much of that is accessible through PC. I think that there is, you get, you gain more confidence out of buying a PlayStation than you get out of buying an Xbox because of what's about to happen a few, a few days because of things like God of War Ragnarok, because of the fact that PlayStation just doesn't miss when it comes to their first party games and the fact that they've been able to gain such a stranglehold on these key third party titles. I think that you gain more confidence out of buying a PlayStation in terms of, hey, I'm confident that I'm going to really love this decision for the years to come than you, 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 you do right now by buying an Xbox. And I think you have to have that confidence when you buy a PlayStation VR 2, where you're like, especially if you're not already a, a PlayStation 5 owner, where you're saying, okay, I'm going to pay $1,000 for this. How confident am I that I'm going to use this enough to justify the price? And right now, I think the confidence level of PlayStation fans is, is as close to zero as you can get without it being zero because PlayStation has done a really, really poor job of telling people, look, this is $550, but this is what you can expect from us for that $550. This is the commitment that we've made. When you're talking about releasing a very questionable peripheral, you're not sure about 550. VR is still in a very unsure state at this moment. What has PlayStation done to let people feel comfortable about their purchase? They announced a single game, Horizon Call of the Mountain, and then that's it. They haven't talked about, um, you know, I think they spoke about, hey, yeah, we have some some studios working on some VR stuff from existing IP, at the very least, they could they could have said what those things were. Even if it's like, yeah, we're working on a revival for Killzone. We have no details yet. But when you do those things, or you say like, yeah, we're working on an original story in the Days Gone universe, like a Days Gone VR game, that would be amazing for PlayStation. You know that Days Gone has that core audience. Yeah, it didn't sell like crazy, right? But it sold well enough that you release it on PC. You have, what was it, like a TV show or a movie coming out on it. Uh, we all know how popular the Walking Dead games are. Uh, I don't know if something like Last of Us will work really well in VR because of how narrative-driven and story-driven um, and, and, and character-driven that, that th those games are. But Days Gone, zombie apocalypse types of stuff, um, or even saying like, hey, we're, we're, we're reviving Infamous for VR. So, okay, cool. Now you're talking about superpowers and uh, being able to fly or something like that in VR. Those are things that even if you don't have them right now, you're still eliciting confidence from that purchase. You're saying like, okay, maybe there's not a lot right now. Um, 
but PlayStation is promising us so much more. I think that would that would give people the confidence to go out day one and get these. This will still sell very well. I think it'll still sell well in February day one, but those are really those gotta have it day one techie type of of of, of people. Um, the other thing is Horizon Call the Mount itself. It just it's just not very impressive. It's just you know, once again, you're commanding a triple A price, but it doesn't feel like you have triple A games. And I think that a lot of people are thinking in the same way that I'm thinking, which is we all saw what Valve did with Half-Life VR. Valve proved that when it comes to triple A gaming, you can really deliver something special. But the other thing that Valve proved is that this takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of money. If I can't say with 100% certainty, but I don't think Half-Life Alex was a financial success for them. So, you know, there is a lot of this risk, and I don't think that PlayStation is willing to take that risk because, once again, when you do that, now you're taking time and resources away from this other thing that you're trying to build for PlayStation 5, the games as a service thing, multiplayer. You saw what happened with Genshin Impact. PlayStation wants their own Genshin Impact. So when you're trying to fight a battle on that front, all the time, money, and resources you take away from that to put towards VR, it's a much greater risk for a much, much lower reward than if you would have put that same time, money, and resources on something for PlayStation 5. This is why I think that without a doubt, this is going to be PlayStation's biggest challenge. And I still personally feel like it's going to be their biggest failure because I don't think... I. It, it, it's almost like it, it makes me feel like the PlayStation Vita in a sense, where when you think about PlayStation support for the Vita, there really wasn't much from PlayStation. Like when, like when people think about PlayStation, PSP and Vita and people list their top games, I think it's rare that someone lists a PlayStation game in those top games. Like there was a moment where it felt like PlayStation was intent on PSP and we want this hardware to work and then they created and catered particular games for that platform the Loco Rocos for example um, but it just doesn't feel like they're doing the same with PlayStation VR 2 and if they think that they can rely on third parties to get them kind of out of that dirt when their main competitor is cheaper I mean way cheaper <laughs> because you can't count, you know, you can't say, when I say PlayStation VR costs $1,000, I can't say, well, MetaQuest 2 doesn't cost, what is it, $400 or whatever. It costs, uh, you know, $1,400 because, you know, you have to factor in the cell phone. No, because, you know, almost 100% of the human beings walking, especially in the United States of America, have a cell phone in their pocket you know, you can't really make the same comparison. So to wrap this up, the question becomes, why does PlayStation think this is going to work? Why does PlayStation think they can get away with selling a $550 headset? Why is it that when PlayStation looks at VR and the many failures and the fact that it hasn't caught fire even after all these years, why does it, why do they think that they can do it? My, uh, answer to this 
is arrogance. PlayStation has enjoyed success for such a long time that they forgot what it feels like to lose. And I think when it comes to that thought process, I do think that there's a part of, 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 of us at Nintendo. There's a part of Sony that feels like when it comes to the PlayStation brand, they can't lose. I think that they see themselves in the same arena as Apple, right? Apple has gotten to this point where they feel like they can't lose. Like Apple, you guys remember when Apple was selling like those white cleaning cloths and they were like 19 bucks and they were sold out and they were going on eBay for like $50 or something like that. You guys remember the AirPods Max headset, just a cheap piece of crap headset that they sold for this premium price that sounded like garbage, looked bad. Honestly, one of the worst designs that Apple has done. Eh, didn't matter. It was selling like hotcakes. These guys are selling uh, monitor stands for like thousands of dollars. What was it like? Uh, wheels for you to put uh, their Macs on. The wheels w by themselves were like 500 bucks or $1,000, some crazy price like that. There's... There's, there's a certain arrogance to that. But for them, they had this proven arrogance where it's like, yeah, we could do it. It, it reminds me of when Kanye West was selling the worst looking shoes and clothing you can, you'll can you ever see in your life. That's that Part of that is arrogance. It's like, it doesn't matter how shitty I make this shoe look. I know you guys are going to buy it. And I think it's PlayStation arrogance that got them to the point of they looked at the build cost of the PSVR 2 and it's almost like to themselves, they're like, no, PlayStation fans are going to buy. Don't you see what these guys are doing? PlayStation 5s are selling for like $1,000 on eBay. These guys are still buying it. We raised the price of our video games for $70. They're still buying it. The PlayStation hardware, we raised the price. They're still buying it. Don't you see we can do no wrong? And I think that arrogance got them to this point and I think they're going to get humbled really, really quick. And it's going to be an expensive lesson for them. And I will say this. I hope I'm wrong. And I've said this before on Camp Koji. When it comes to our industry, the video game industry that I love, I, I, I never want to see any of these companies fail especially gaming VR. I think gaming VR, uh, you know, we, we, have, we, we can't even see the ceiling yet of gaming VR. I think there's so much room to grow. I, I still think we haven't seen the great, great, great VR game, even after Half-Life Alex. I don't want this to fail. I really don't. I really want this to be successful. I really want there to be a point in time where there is this amazing AAA IP-based release from PlayStation that finally gets me to say, man, I really need a PlayStation VR 2. Um, I, I don't think that we'll get there. I do still believe this is going to be a failure for PlayStation, but I honestly still, I really hope I'm wrong. I really, really, really hope that I'm wrong but I think that PlayStation is going to be humbled by this entire experience. New releases for the week, November 8th, Sonic Frontiers, PC, PS4, PS5, Switch, Xbox One, and Xbox Series X, Return to Monkey Island, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, also coming to Game Pass, 
Sifu coming to Switch. November 9th, The Goat, God of War Ragnarok, PS4, PS5. November 10th, Dying Light 2, Bloody Ties Expansion, PC, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X. Vampire Survivors, Xbox Series X also coming to Game Pass. And then we have November 11th, uh, Resident Evil 2, the cloud version, comes to Switch. And then we have Valkyrie Elysium coming to PC. Time to wrap it up. The story's been there. Time to get to. HBO has revealed the date for The Last of Us TV show, January 15th. You already guys already know I'm going to be there day one. Can't wait to th- see this. It looks absolutely incredible. Netflix has announced their sixth in-house studio. They acquired Seattle-based developer Spry Fox, most known for Cozy Grove. If you guys listen to Camp Koji, you already know how I feel about this Netflix deal. I think it's just a really, 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 really bad decision, but best of luck to them all. According to independent data tracker SteamDB, PlayStation's latest release, Sackboy Big Adventure, has a peak concurrent player count of just 610 since it was released October 27. Honestly, I don't think PlayStation's surprised by this. I think this is good. You know, it's it's really important for any company going into something that's still relatively new to them, PC, for PlayStation to see both sides. Once again, you have to learn to lose. This is what I just talked about PlayStation. So I don't think that they expect this Sackboy to do really well, but this gives them a very important data point in terms of the types of games that will and won't work. So this probably informs to them like, eh, you know, Ratchet and Clank probably won't work on PlayStation. Um, excuse me, probably won't work on PC uh, when they see something like Sackboy not working. So all in all, I think this is actually good news. And finally, Marvel and EA announced a new partnership that will result in at least three games. Now, one of these we already know is Iron Man. That was announced being worked on by Motive. That's the team behind Star Wars Squadron. They're finishing up work on Dead Space Remake that comes out in January. The second is Black Panther. That's been heavily rumored by journalist Jeff Grubb, who's you know pretty dead on when it comes to uh, his predictions, his rumors. So I think we can lock that in stone that there's two of the three. So of course, the third is a mystery. I'm hoping it's either Daredevil, Doctor Strange, anything X-Men related. Uh, I'll take another Deadpool game. Honestly, that Deadpool Xbox 360 game was not bad, man. It was actually pretty good. Um, I know a lot of people were looking at the announcement, like uh, throwing their hands up, like, oh, EA. But, I mean, honestly, I mean, I get EA, EA takes a lot of flack. But when it comes to the single-player stuff, I mean, they've been doing not such a bad job lately. Like when you look at what they did with Star Wars was amazing. The Dead Space remake, I think, looks very, very good. Untouched. No microtransactions. Like I think they did it the right way. So I wouldn't really discount EA out of anything, especially Moda. Star Wars Squadrons, like, yeah, it wasn't this crazy AAA game of the year type of thing, but it was a very, very solid title. I think they've done good with the Star Wars license after the Battlefront 2 debacle. So, you know, I don't think I would count them out just yet. Shout out. Shout out of the week goes to Low Roar frontman Ryan Karasija, who passed away last week. His music was well known after it was front and center in Death Stranding. Rest in peace to him. And thank you guys so much for joining me. Please follow us on Twitter and YouTube at Camp Koji for future updates. Once again, I'm Joel. I'll see you all next week. Week.